Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Woodzik. This is episode 106 with Amanda Berg Wilson. She is the founder and artistic director of The Catamounts, which is a fantastic local company here in Boulder, Colorado. They're currently running this amazing show, You on the Moors Now, or as I like to say when I'm working the dairy box office, You on the Moors Now! Which is a mashup of Jane Eyre, Pride and Prejudice, Wuthering Heights, and Little Women, focusing on that fierce female energy of those heroines in those stories, and what happens when they decide to go against the grain, to take a path other than what society at that time would have dictated for them. You have until September 30th to see the show at Dairy Arts Center. I have the link for ticketing in the episode description. Amanda is also directing an immersive production of The Wild Party as part of Denver Center's off-center season. That runs October 14th through the 31st at the Stanley Marketplace ticketing link is in the episode description as well. Both of these shows are likely to sell out, so don't wait to get your tickets. This episode is sponsored by Pan Focal Photography. When you see my production photos, publicity photos, chances are that they are taken by William Dibble of Pan Focal Photography. So if you have a need for an event or a production or headshots and the like, I really encourage you to contact William. He's a magician. He's just very lovely to work with. And I would love for you to support Pan Focal Photography. All right, folks, without further ado, please enjoy episode 106 with Amanda Berg Wilson. Welcome Amanda Berg Wilson to the podcast. Thanks for sitting down and talking oh, with me. Thank you so much, Woodzik, for having me. Hey, so I had the honor of seeing the opening of You on the Moors Now, which is a hilarious <laughs> feminist literature filled play. Tell me about this show. What was it like to direct it? Uh, why should audiences be excited to come see oh, it? Oh, gosh. Well, so You on the Moors Now is a mashup. Um, of four iconic 19th century novels, uh, Little Women, Wuthering Heights, Pride and Prejudice, and Jane Eyre. And it takes the heroines um, from those novels and throws them into sort of a theatrical imaginary land of the Moors where they all meet up um, having run away from the men who have asked them to marry them. <laughs> so, and, and of course, having, having refused the men who have asked them to marry them. And from there, uh, they decide to escape and go seek uh, more actualized lives, um, seeking the things beyond marriage that their hearts desire. Um, and in doing so, the men decide to seek war and, and to go and get them back. I just get chills now <laughs> when you said that because I think there are a lot of parallels to, to, I mean, things have gotten maybe slightly better, but there's this 
jerk of a guy who's playing yeah. piano in the quad of his college until his girlfriend who broke up with him takes him back. I mean, we still have these kind of obscene romantic entitlements that men perform to this day. You know, it is, um, so I am, I am recently into my 40s. And, you know, I, I think I grew up um, fairly empowered, or at least I thought, and it's a weird thing. And certainly the context of the last election kind of brought it to a fore when you had this exceedingly qualified woman um, lose to a horrendously underqualified man. And just that recognition, that um, misogyny and... Um, and male entitlement is still real present. It was so sobering to me. And then I started to see it in my own life in this way that like, and I have intentionally surrounded myself with fairly enlightened men, but even even some of those men who are beloved to me and who are on some level my champions, I still see it. I still am interrupted. I still um, am seen as, as a, a lesser than, I think, in, in situations. So while this piece, I don't know if it necessarily tackles it in this super kind of earnest, um, kind of strongly political way, I think that it, what it does is it reminds us um, of this sort of proto-feminist moment when just the act of saying no to somebody when they proposed marriage to you was an act of defiance. Um, and how far we have come and how far we haven't come and, and also just being able to laugh at that while also being reminded, you know, that, that there's still this, that, that men, you know, white men in particular, just still feel very entitled to lots of things, women included. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I do want to dig in and, and, and highlight your amazingly talented cast. But before we do, there was an incident online. You, the Catamounts got your first troll. Yes. Uh, as Laura Lounge put out. Yes. Uh, because you put a post and there was, there was a review that went up and, and we talked about uh, quote-unquote feminist comedy. Mm -hmm. And someone, a white dude, yes, a white jumped dude. on and said, that's a contradiction in terms. Yes. And there was this, you see this moment where people are like, is this guy joking? And he was not joking. And it was lovely to see your cast, male and female, jump in on that thread. But then also, it, it, it sort of proves how necessary it is to keep doing this work. Yeah, yeah. So, so certainly, I think um, there's lots of examples of how there's an online misogynist community that sort of any time... Um, that there is a woman on Twitter who asserts, um, sort of points out a, a, a feminist um, irony or moment who just absolutely descend like vultures. And um, it just so happens that whatever permissions I've set up on Facebook, um, this guy is a college friend of one of the cast members. And he just would not let it go. He just absolutely believes that um, first of all, that women aren't funny, or or that or he kept saying he kept saying Shirley Temple as an example of 
of a funny woman. Shirley Temple and one other, some Olisa Lampinelli, whose work I'm not really familiar with, but I think she has sort of a more... She's an uh, insult comedian. Yeah, and she's, I think, but also sort of maybe a little red state humor kind of ish. But anyway, so those were his two examples of women who were funny because they... Um, because because feminism did not factor into their comedy, and then he's and then he asserted that that any time that a woman s- sort of brings feminist principles into comedy, then suddenly comedy is not funny anymore, um, which was just absolutely staggering to me. I mean, I think you you identified that moment really well. Like we were all, are are you kidding? Like, do you really Sarcasm? mean this? And then he started throwing around a bunch of. Um, statistics which it's not true that women aren't paid as much as men yeah, the pay gap um, is a myth that the pay gap's a myth or that the pay gap is only because um, men actually work harder than women um, yeah so it's just this strange thing to realize that something that we t- that that I take for granted which is women should be equal to men and that asserting as much as not a particularly controversial thing to say is still in certain corners. Um, it's pretty damn controversial still. So, you know, I, I swim in pretty liberal progressive pools. And so, um, you know, I had some conversations with the cast about the fact that this piece is pretty heteronormative and it's pretty binary. And, um, you know, those were my concerns about the piece. So, it was kind of a, a reminder that as we're having all of these conversations that there's still actually, um, sadly, um, room for that conversation, which is just that women should be able to pursue their dreams um, and should not just merely be the property and um, of men. Amen. Right? Amen. Whoa, I don't know if I want to say amen. I'll say absolutely yeah. instead. And I also want to shout out that in terms of financial success, you've had a lot of sellout shows. Mm-hmm. The Revolutionists with Betsy, both female written, female starring, female produced, largely shows. Mm-hmm. They're not suffering at the box office. No. And so part of that is 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 encouraging audiences to get out, put your money where your mouth is, go see these female-driven shows. Mm-hmm. And so trolls like that guy can go hide under a bridge. Yeah, well, and it's crazy when you think about the fact that, like, um, you know, if, if that Trump won because of white women, you know? Yep. And, and that, to me, is so crazy that you... That, that you would look at somebody like Hillary Clinton, all of her flaws, you know, notwithstanding... I mean, every candidate is flawed, and that her flaws yes. were were judged in this light. Um, we just have, you know, just women do have it harder still, and they still do have to assert. I I should be able to pursue everything that a man should be able to pursue. So that's sort of in a nutshell what the play is about. So tell me about your cast. Oh my gosh, it's an all-star God. cast. It is just an awesome cast. So. Um, 
when I fell in love with this piece, I, I keep swearing off big casts because um, <laughs> inevitably, you know, and, and we've been really lucky at the Catamounts that we've had really wonderful people come out, but um, it's just hard to kind of fire on all cylinders when you have a big cast like that, especially because we're, you know, still a relatively young organization. We're still growing um, in terms of artist pay. We compensate like as well as a lot of other organizations, but we don't have the pick of, for instance, the equity pool here. Right, so, right. Um, so, uh, man, they, they just came out and there's just this like fascinating thing that's happening. They're all so good. They're all so funny and they're all so lovely, like kind to each other. They're all sort of in love with one another, <laughs> like not in a sort of romantic way, but just kind of in a deep, there's just this deep friendship and they really like playing together. So um, it's just been this real privilege to get to to oversee that. I mean, I almost at one point, like early, we, we sort of got to a place a, a week ahead of where I thought we would, where I was like, I think I can just probably go like, you know, have a cup of coffee outside. Like these guys are this sort of self-governing entity right now. And um, and then it was interesting that you say that about the troll because um, at one point, one of the, the gentlemen in the cast said, hey, you know, come out, I'll buy your ticket. And if you don't laugh, I'll pay for your plane ticket out here. And then there was just this, and then, and then, the, and then this troll was like, I can come the, the final weekend. So we were all like, and then there was this real kind of family come to Jesus moment where we were just like, do we really want this man in the audience um, who's so sort of um, kind of walled up against this sort of beautiful thing that we feel like we're doing with this piece and um, so even, even on that kind of level, that's just this giant, um, creative family now. So it's, it's been a real, you know, you, it doesn't always happen, you know, sometimes, um, it's an alchemic, is that a word? Alchemic yeah, thing the casting is. And, and even when everybody's really well suited for the roles or really up to the task, they maybe are, you know, got too much going on at home that they're not really present in the room or um but this cast has just been like present and and really about like the beauty and the joy of making theater so it's just been I feel beyond lucky I don't really believe in like blessed you know but I feel really lucky hashtag blessed <laughs> yeah <right. laughs> I know this is one of my least favorite things on the internet <laughs> like <laughs> You're right. You got chosen over everybody else to have this thing, you know. Anyway, that's, one, a, that's, a, that's another conversation I'll take <laughs> uh, One of my favorite things about the Catamounts is the attention to detail mm. for the audience's experience. Mm. So you come in, and for the community meals, you have this. Can you talk a little bit about the food and beverage that you've paired with this production? Absolutely. So um, part of... Um, you know, the way that we produce theater is to try to expand the experience. And we have early in our formation, um, a woman named Lauren Shepard brought to the table the idea that we could, instead of just having, you know, cheese and crackers and shitty wine reception, you know, <laughs> that we could, that we could somehow the food and drink that we served at a reception could be, um, 
you know, tailored to the experience that the audience just had. So our first show was called Mr. Spacky, a man who was continuously followed by wolves. And um, it was sort of this, we did it, it was written by this woman in Chicago named Emily Schwartz. She kind of does what's, I think one critic at one point called Midwest Gothic. Um, These almost sort of Edward Gorey-esque kind of pieces. And... um, so anyway, Lauren's husband is a chef, and he did a deconstructed tea afterwards because we sort of did it Englishy steampunk, um, and he everything that he created for the reception, and people were just nuts about it. They were like, "This is brilliant." Um, so then from there, we um, started a, an event that's sort of now woven into the fabric of our organization called Feed, which you have been to. Um, and it's a multi-course seated meal in which every course is a dish and a drink and a piece of performance. And that was such a hit out of the gate with our audience. We thought, well, how can we integrate this into our full-length productions? So on Saturday nights, we have, um, before the show, we serve a cocktail that's inspired by the show. And for Moors, it's something that we're calling Moorland Tea. Um, and it's we so tasty. It's so tasty. Um, we, I will just say this, like there are very few things that I will just say with total confidence, um, but we make such good cocktails. Like, <laughs> And they're always, we always start out with a kind of a classic cocktail and then we riff on that, um, which is a, sort of a lot like our work itself. You know, <laughs> we like take something iconic and then we do our own version of it. Um, so we started with a Pimm's cup for the Moreland tea. Um, and then we experimented, um, and then forgot about what we experimented with as a result of having experimented with it. Um, and then finally settled on infusing vodka with Earl Grey tea. Um, and then, so it's an Earl Grey infused vodka with Pims and lavender bitters because we wanted to evoke the flowers, uh, the heather flowers of, um, the Moors, the English Moors. Um, and some simple syrup. So it's kind of in lemon. So it, it does taste sort of like a delicious English iced tea. And it's very boozy. Um, and then after the show, we are serving shepherd's pie. Uh, so delicious. Which was so good. <laughs> my, my daughter's in the room. So <laughs> she just chimed in. It's so good. Um, it is. It's delicious. And, and that is Anote Denver, um, which is a pop-up restaurant um, catering uh new organization and she just I thought knocked it out of the park Absolutely. it was so like nourishing and delicious um and then Wildwoods who's been our um they're a brewery here in Boulder small brewery um but I will I will pit those brewers against any brewers in Colorado they're so smart um and their beer is so good and they this is I believe gosh is that our fourth or f- fifth season with them fourth season um they sit down just like a lighting designer does or a costume designer and they read the play and they look for the themes and they basically set out to brew a beer that tastes like this show um but yeah so this one we're calling um river sister saison um it's really funny because i came in i was like well we should brew an english style beer right because this is a play that's sort of riffing on iconic english characters And they were like, no, 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 we want it to be something that's a little wilder and more rustic because this play is about the freedom that the women are seeking and and seeking out, you know, by running away into the countryside as sort of a metaphor for throwing off the confines of society. So they wanted it to taste 
wild. They wanted to use, you know, kind of more of a style of brewing a, a saison, which, you know, relies on wilder yeasts. Um, and they brewed it over whole heather flowers. So it has this kind of on the back end. I don't know. Did you taste it? I like the, the flowers are, are very subtle, but they kind of come in at the back end. Yeah, I, I have to say I'm not much of a beer drinker, but I had a couple glasses of this. <laughs> and I mean, not just because it was part of the chicken, because it tasted so yummy. It's so it's yummy. light and really drinkable. Yeah. You know what they do? They're so great about this. They really get that they're brewing a beer that needs to be palatable across a pretty wide swath of folks um, and they're always really mindful for our shows about making something that's not too alienating and you're not the first person who's like I'm not really a beer drinker but I just had three <laughs> glasses of that so, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so in the, and so the community meal like it just allows us to create some space I don't know about you but I just I hate that moment in the lobby after a show where you you're kind of not ready to talk about it, but you kind of want to talk about it, but you're still processing, and then the actors come out, and um, I'm one of those people who rarely just hates a piece of theater, you know? I, I, I love some, and then I have sort of mixed feelings about others, but I always want the opportunity to talk about it in kind of an in-depth yeah. way, and talk about what worked and what didn't work, and um, I just have always found that that's such an odd space, and... Um, so we're trying to kind of create that space where you can hang out and then you can kind of have a beer and start to talk about the play or not, or just meet the actors or meet the other people that you just sat in the dark theater for two hours with. So, um, and it's been really lovely. It's kind of where we've gotten to get to know our audience and, you know, I, I still don't know a lot of them. I wish everybody came to community meal because I now you know, I have faces to, to the people who come and are into the work. Absolutely. It's really a unique, it's a unique thing that you do with the Catamounts. And I think it just, I would imagine that it, it increases the audience's engagement and makes them want to be your evangelists totally. out in the world and bring more folks in to, to be part of those community meals to yeah. see the shows. Well, and it's so neat too, because, you know, it's not just about us. They actually know a lot of them who are what we call our fat cats, which are <laughs> our subscribers. They know each other. So then there's that as well, where it's really theaters becoming not just an artistic experience or an entertainment experience, but also like a community um, a community building experience, you know, which is cool. So if folks want to come see the show, yeah. there's still opportunities. Uh, when do you rental and how can they get tickets? So we run until September 30th. So we have two more weekends. Um, this upcoming weekend, uh, we have a Thursday performance starting on the 21st. And then we actually have five shows in a row, 21st through the 25th. So starting with a Thursday performance, Friday and Saturday um, night shows, Saturday including a community meal, a Sunday afternoon matinee um, that we are serving the cocktail before, and then a Monday night industry performance that we're sh serving the beer before. Um, and then we have three more performances next weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And if you want tickets, you can go to thedairy.org and um, just uh, you can either search for the Catamounts or you on the Morris Now or go to theater performance um, and you'll see it. 
And if folks are interested, they should go soon because we do, we, we've staged it in the round and yeah. in, in the Carson, which is the multi-configurable space at the dairy. And um, because we've staged it in the round, it's, we have limited seating and, 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 and no ability to add seats beyond that. So, and there's don't, some shows that are close to selling out. So Don't miss out, folks. <laughs> yeah. Get your tickets now. Pause the podcast. Mm-hmm. Get online. Make it so... Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about the rest of your season for the catamounts? Yes. So um, in uh, at the end of October, we're collaborating with the Firehouse Art Center up in Longmont, which is this cool art gallery that's built in an old firehouse. Um, and we are doing a Dia de los Muertos feed, um, s- sort of riffing on the Mexican holiday of uh, Dia de los Muertos. Um, so the name of the event is Feed Los Muertos. And... Um, the great thing about that is that we're collaborating um, with a number of Mexican-American artists on it. So the food is by um, a food truck called Los Dos Bros, and they are—they're um, actually not—they're—they're—they—they're they're immigrants here to to the U.S. Um, and they're lovely gentlemen and. My father, who I'm originally from Texas, and my father grew up in Texas, and he he claims that their tamales are the best tamales that he's ever had in his whole life. So, which is a testimony because that man has had a lot of Mexican food in his life. Um, and then, uh, and that is on October 28th and 29th. Um, and I think we only tickets for that will go on sale um, this week. Um, at thecatamounts.org and uh, I think we only have 30 tickets left because of our um, subscribers um, and that again is you know it's it's three courses of food and drink and performance and it's all based around um, the firehouses Los Muertos exhibit in which um, uh, they've solicited portraits of the dead um, from the community. So we're going to be creating pieces that are based on the people who have been portrayed in the portraits. So it's kind of this. And then there's also going to be an opportunity for the the audience to celebrate their beloved departed. So just a way, I just think it's such a beautiful holiday. It's such a something that I think... Um, in sort of more kind of mainstream American culture, we don't, we sort of, we sort of push the idea of death to the side and it's very, but you know, um, Mexican culture really is about like, you keep those people with you as long and you celebrate them and it's, you're sad, but you're also joyous. And, um, so and then in uh, February, we're going to do another feed event that's called Feed Love. Um, and it's going to be kind of about how our, our sort of our, our youthful ideals of love morph over time. Um, and we're actually going to be doing that in Denver. Um, it's still being solidified, but I believe we're going to be doing that at Infinite Monkey Theorem, which is a winery down in Denver. Cool name. Um, yeah. So I don't, isn't that a fabulous name? So we'll be <laughs> pairing, and then Anote Denver, who's doing our community meal, is going to mm. do the food. So we'll be pairing um, her food with um, uh, Infinite Monkey Theorem's wine. And it'll actually be, we're going to do something different with with feed for the first time. We're going to, it's going to be kind of like a, a early afternoon feed. So um, a way of kind of making it a little, um, I don't, like just a different time of day and seeing what that does to performance and to the experience. 
And then in uh, May, we're going to be uh, collaborate. Well, we'll be opening a show that we are, are uh, collaborating um, in the creation of um, with Control Group Productions, which is a Denver-based dance theater company um, run by whose artistic director, Patrick Mueller, um, is a colleague of mine that... Um, uh, from the sort of newly emerging immersive theater world here in Denver. Um, so the Catamounts and Control Group are going to create um, an outdoor immersive piece called Rausch, which is uh, based on the German concept of intoxication and frenzy, whether by booze or in drugs or the outdoors or magic. And it's going to kind of use the idea of what happens to us when we go outside as a way of exploring kind of that concept. Um, so that's so that's that's the season coming up. Congratulations. That's exciting. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. It's been, Moore's has been a great kind of um, prototypical, not prototypical, but like a, a, a very catamounts kind of show. Um, and it's nice to, and you know, we're just in our seventh season and it's nice to know that we, that is a, that's, that's a piece emblematic of who we are and our feeds will be, you know, emblematic of who we are. And then we're expanding the idea of who we are in the spring. And you, you just never stop. So <laughs> you yeah. transitioned right from you on the moors now to directing the wild party as part of Denver Center's off state off, off center, center yes off center season can you tell me about that production? yeah so how it came to be so off center is sort of um the denver center's experimental wing and and experimental not kind of you know maybe in the way that you that you and i who have <laughs> sort of waited in the fringier aspects of the theater world um but but definitely where they have been and and it's actually so great that they're doing this because they have more resources to, but where they are sort of exploring what the next, the next generation of theater making is going to look like. And as such, they have um, really latched on to creating immersive theater. Um, and they did so uh, in two, 2016 uh, with a piece called Sweet and Lucky that they commissioned um, Third Rail Projects out of Brooklyn to come in and help make. Um, and Third Rail has a show that's been running, I think, gosh, they're maybe in their fourth or fifth year called And Then She, or no, Then She Fell, which is based on Alice in Wonderland. Um, oh. 14 people through the show a night, all in an old school house, um, but hugely successful for them. Um, and then they came and they made Sweet and Lucky, and uh, that was created in a 16,000 square foot warehouse in Rhino. Um, and it was about memory and the way that memory kind of loops in and on itself. And, um, and I was a part of that cast. Um, we did a four, six week run, four week run. I can't remember. It was, it's all sort of a blur, but, um, and then, and that sold out and then we extended and that sold out. So I think in total we had 89 sold out performances of wow. that show thereby demonstrating to the Denver Center, like, this is a thing, you know, this is something that people want. And, you know, for for those in the audience who aren't sort of familiar with the concept, it's a very in vogue concept, but, you know, immersive theater just basically means non-proscenium, um, 
no fourth wall and 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 I think should also mean that the act that that the audience is somehow um tasked or engaged or really like essential to the action of the piece um it's in and you know and it's kind of popping up now all over the country so they part of the experiment the Denver Center is is doing is that they had Sweet and Lucky which was an original piece um, and then they did a, a, an immersive piece called Travelers of the Lost Dimension. And that was more sort of improv-based, um, very kind of uh, low-tech DIY sort of aesthetic that was done in the public spaces of the Stanley Marketplace, which is this sort of multi, um, kind of one of those old warehouses that now has breweries and boutiques and art galleries. Um but the the sort of the third part of this immersive experiment that they're doing, and they're actually doing it funded in part by a grant from the Wallace Foundation, um, is to take a scripted work and make it immersive. So they decided to do. Uh, we decided actually. I was I was brought into the project um, in this decision making project uh, process to do um, uh, the Wild Party by Michael John. Gosh, I always say his last name wrong. Lechusa, Lechusa, um, which was a, a, an adaptation of a 1928 poem um, that George C. Wolf wrote the book for, and that was um, that the public produced sort of in the early aughts. And then now we're gonna take it and we're gonna make it immersive. So it's this big Broadway musical that we are we are figuring out how you make it into an immersive experience rather than a proscenium one, a traditional one. It's such, I remember I saw it with, uh, Sound Theater Company did it in Seattle, and it's, oh. I, I am no longer going to apologize for loving musical theater. <laughs> it's my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> Thank you. There's Eloise, also I Trevor saw Grimm. Frozen last night, and I loved every oh, single minute of it. <laughs> Eloise is going this week. She's going this week. Incredible. And so I think it's a piece that's going to lend itself really well uh, dark musical. Yes. So yes. folks should get folks should get tickets for that. Get their drink on. Yes. Uh, and their costume on. We're really um, in one of our early design meetings. We, you know, um, I said, y'all, we're gonna make this big, beautiful, immersive space, and somebody's gonna come in a Broncos jersey. And, a <laughs> you know? yeah. and, that, and so we're really also encouraging the audience um, because it's set in 1928. Um, to dress up uh, as the era or just in general fancy since you're going to a party. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be, it's, I mean, it's, it's a giant experiment because, you know, a piece that was written to be performed in a proscenium, what we're trying to investigate are, are where those moments that we can relax from the narrative task, you know, and let people um, have smaller, more intimate moments with, in a particular corner of a particular room with a particular cast member and where are those moments that like, if we don't all, if the entire audience doesn't see it, um, are they gonna miss kind of the emotional catharsis of the piece because they won't really have understood the relationships. So um, it's, a, it's an experiment, but I'm so lucky to get to be involved in it because um, there's so many great things that I'm just finding out about what happens when we when we reconceive of how we produce theater, you know? 
It's exciting. It's an exciting time. Absolutely. Don't you think? I, I, mean, I think so too. And I mean, from my studies in arts management and stuff, it's going to be really interesting this next 10 to 15 years where some of uh, the Generation Xers and Millennials have more capacity to spend money at the arts. Mm-hmm. And I think there's going to be a, a tidal shift in terms of holding theaters more accountable for parody and gender diversity and Mm -hmm. diversity in all forms in theater. Mm -hmm. And for lack of a better word, I think there's going to be a shift uh, in some theaters. They'll have to sort of keep up with the times, whereas they were programming up until this point, worrying about losing funding or worrying Mm -hmm. about producing things that were not popular. Uh, They're just going to have to catch up with the times. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, I'm so glad you said that about the gender parity too, because the other great thing about having the resources for the Denver center and and producing this particular piece is that, um, you know, already in the early aughts, George C. Wolf, who is of course, you know, he directed the original production of angels in America and Mm. he wrote, um, uh, the colored museum. So, I mean, he, he's sort of been, um, marinating and 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 the diverse you know themes of American identity for a long time, but this piece is um, we have five black actors, we have um, uh, one Latino actor, we have one Asian American actress, um, we have uh, so so half the cast is non-white, and the piece itself is of course about this kind of downtown vaudevillian burlesque community. Um, So there, you know, there's this great line in the play that's about like queer folks and black folks and white folks. And so it really is one of those pieces that kind of acknowledges that from, from the beginning of our real kind of cultural identity, which I think a lot of people make the case sort of began in between World War One and World War Two when we were sort of emerging from a European sense of self mm-hmm. and um, that it really was kind of, it, it's always, it's always been the result of cross-pollination between straight culture and queer culture and white culture and black culture. And so that's also sort of one of those great things about this piece in general. Absolutely. Mm. What are the run dates for? And so we open tickets? October 14th. Um, I think I'm coming on the 11th. Oh, are you coming to one of the yeah. previews? Yeah. yeah, which will be super exciting because, I mean, the, the, the <laughs> hardest thing about a rehearsing immersive theater is that if you're doing it right, you're basically rehearsing scenes without scene partners. Right. Because the audience really becomes the scene partners. And so all of it is hypothetical until that audience steps in the room. And then all of a sudden there's like this massive learning curve about, oh, we imagine that this is what they will do in this moment, but they're actually doing this, um, which is great, you know, which is great. It acknowledges the real other human element that makes theater work, you know, which is the audience. And um, so we open October 14th and then we run through October 31st. So it's a short run because we're um, at Stanley Marketplace because it's being constructed off site, not at the Denver Center. Um, So if folks want to go they should go they should get tickets quickly because um we are anticipating that and i actually think there already shows that are sold out gotcha how many folks are you allowing for each performance 208 really yes 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 um which is again another part of the this experiment because i know i know it's actually it's the thing that keeps me up at night the most but um 
I mean, the great thing about it is that it will feel so full of humanity. Um, and you'll see the way that we're staging it, it it's, it's still, it, it sort of allows for those bodies to be really part of the experience, but still we've created, you know, some really fun ways to still make sure that you can see performers. Um, but yeah, they just, they wanted the, they wanted to also see if you could, they could push the numbers. So whereas, um, Sweet and Lucky was 72 audience members and I think Travelers was 30 something. We're, we're going big. Go big or go home. Exactly. I'll make sure I include the, uh, I think there's a unique URL for the ticketing for that. Wildpartydenver.com. I'm pretty sure. I'm going to type it into my computer right now to make sure. I'll make sure sure that that whatever link is. Wildpartydenver.com. Dot com. Uh, We'll make it into the episode description. This is... I could just talk to you for hours. I know. I could uh, talk to you for hours. And I, also, I also have lots to say. So, <laughs> uh, As we sort of get to the, the last few minutes of our podcast here, I just, I'd love to know a little bit about your uh, trajectory, like where mm. you fell in love with theater mm. and, and how, you, how that sort of culminated with uh, coming out to Boulder and starting your own company. Mm. Oh, gosh. Well, the, so the, the, the short version of it is that um, I was totally one of those little, little girls who like staged roller skating shows in the um, in the, the circular driveway that I grew up next door to in Houston, and like went and knocked on people's doors, and I was like, "Are you know, are you coming to my show?" And they'd be like, "Oh yeah, we'll be there in a minute," and I'd be like, "Oh no, that's I'll just wait for you," you know. Um, so for, I was I was sort of I sort of came out um, pretty sick. Yeah, pretty. I really did, and. Um, you know, my mother was uh, was a ballet dancer and um, and also a musician, a pianist, and so she for sure got us started in music and in dance pretty early. And then um, I was lucky enough to have to go to schools that did productions. Um, you know, in elementary school and in middle school, and you know, just got cast and fell in love and and the interesting thing about sort of how I evolved into the artist I am today is that even as I, it was becoming very clear to me that my primary voice was as a theater artist, I continued to dance in college and sing in choirs. And, um, so I've always been really interested in this intersection of theater and music and dance. Um, and in fact, um, the company that I ran in Chicago, I lived in Chicago for 10 years, was an interdisciplinary company. So we devised work with an ensemble that had musicians and dancers and theater artists in it. And it was kind of a crazy process to try to find a common vocabulary and a common process, you know. Musicians, by the way, do not like to rehearse. They're just like, I would like to come and show up and I've played the music at home and I don't need to. And we're like, no, but in a theater show, you actually have to do things a whole bunch of times. Um, So I've always been super interested in that. Um, I was in Chicago for 10 years, but when um, my daughter was born, my husband Ben and I, um, just decided that as much as we loved Chicago, it probably wasn't going to be the best place to raise a kid just because it's a big, crazy city, crazy, awesome city, but still a big city. So we moved back here to Colorado because uh, my family is here. And I started the Catamounts because uh, I just, I, I love producing my own work. I, I feel 
Um, I also love being a freelance artist, but um, I have a real distinct aesthetic and a really distinct idea of how I want the audience experience to be. And um, that is sort of beyond just my directorial vision. Um, And when I came here, you know, it's been such a great kind of, we've almost been here, um, we moved here in uh, 2009, so I guess we've almost been here eight years. Um, There was good theater happening. Betsy was was up and running and had been for several years, Square Product was. Um, Curious, of course, in Denver and and the Denver Center and Buntport. Um, But there was a lot of what I saw as to be kind of producing more realism and sort of more linear, well-made plays. And when I was in Chicago, just I fell in love with this um, kind of this theater that created its own rules and its own mm. logic and was, you know, non-realism or, or integrated music and dance and um, or something like the neo-futurists, which is all um, which is like the opposite. It's like there's no it's not, you know, I think they call it non-illusory. So there's no sort of I am playing a character. It's like I'm always playing myself. So. Chicago is just an amazing theater town and they just were investigating already there like what's happening you know what what's the next way that we're going to make theater relevant and so that's why I started the Catamounts I just I I wanted to be able to do the kind of work here that I had fallen in love with out there and then the nice thing is is that you know it it's it has found we have found an audience not you know it's a growing audience but but there's definitely we figured out that there are people who are interested in not seeing a play that takes place in a living room. Well, I mean, you know, well like, said. Yeah. Well said. Uh, so I have, I have two last questions for yeah. you. One, I always like to ask actors, in case there's someone listening to this whose dream it is to mm. work with you, what is mm. your like top couple bucket list roles to mm. play? Oh, that's so good. Well, I tell you what, I am just, the older I get... Um, there are two things that are becoming so important to me. One is just um, uh, some graciousness um, about, and I'm going to say this as I let my dog out. I love it. What is it? <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, but, but just a graciousness from the moment you walk in the room. Um, I, this most recent sort of round of auditions I went through for both Wild Party and for um, for Moors, because, you know, I just cast, um, with no overlaps, 29 local actors in fall productions. Yes. <laughs> I know. So um, all of whom are really at the top of their game. Um, and it, it makes such a difference to me when um, I can, when that person is kind in the room, from the moment they walk in, they're not fussy if, you know, some something has gone a little awry in the audition process. I've gotten thank you notes um, from people who've auditioned for me. And that just, to me, like this acknowledgement of just kind of the humanity behind it has been so great. Um, And then really people who show up ready to do the work, you know? I think that there's sometimes not a laziness, but maybe a, a fear or or not totally wrapping your head around the fact that as a performer, you need to, you need to have done that work on the script. You need to come in, you know, not off book, but, but you need to get off book soon and you need to be 
you need to be kind to your fellow actors and joyful in the process. Um, and it, it affects the work. It makes the work better. You know, I've had actors who that I've worked with before who just sort of feel entitled to the opportunity because they have a sense of their own talent. And a lot of times they're totally right. They are incredibly talented. But talent is only one part of the equation. I mean, you have to be hardworking. You have to be kind. You have to be gracious in the room. And I've talked with other artistic directors about that, you know, that there's just really a sense at this point that, I mean, man, you you better be the kind of talented that is... Um, not you know so unique that you that there's not somebody else who can replace you if you if you're going to be a jerk in the room because nobody we just nobody gets paid enough you know even even at the Denver Center level where you know it's a good contract um nobody nobody we're not all in this for the money we're in this for it also being a really like joyful soulful experience and and one that that let's just be honest is a whole shit ton of work you know so be kind be ready to do the work and you know and then the the talented part you know you just will take i mean you have to be talented and you have to be trained but um there's a lot of talented trained people out there well said. I feel you answered the other question I was going to ask you within that answer. And so we're just going to wrap this up here. Awesome. So folks, make sure you get your tickets for You on the Moors now. Visit thedairy.org. We'll have the ticketing link in the episode description as well as information for the Wild Party and the Catamounts website. Thank you so much for oh seeing me Oh my gosh. Thank you for letting me talk on and on. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> and thank you for doing this. It's such a nice thing to have in the community.